With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back for another edition of the Hawkeye Nation Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Hawkeye Nation publisher, Rob Howe. Uh, I like, I usually like order in my life, which means, especially uh, in my work at Hawkeye Nation, uh, I enjoy um, when Andrew Downs and I can keep our podcasts on Monday and I can do this mailbag podcast on Wednesday, (laughs) but, uh, there are times when that just isn't possible, uh, just based on, uh, life and life has been crazy in 2020. So I'm bringing this to you today on a Thursday instead of a Wednesday. It is, uh, August the 20th, 2020. And, uh, it's a little bit before noon, uh, Iowa city time, central time. And, uh, don't have a ton of questions today. I do have some, and I want to get to all of those. Uh, I want to start the podcast being as, um, yesterday on, on Wednesday, August the 19th, the big 10 conference and Kevin Warren, the commissioner finally addressed, uh, some of the questions that big 10 coaches, players, parents, had for it. And um, uh, it was kind of the next step in revealing the decision to, as he said, postpone fall football. It's actually canceling fall football. You may be postponing the football season till the spring, but fall football has been canceled. Um, It would be spring football next year and then hopefully fall football uh, if they could come up with a plan. And we'll discuss that a little bit during this podcast, as a few of you have the, uh, now we're kind of moving on to ideas for spring football. So I know you guys have some questions about that and I will hit on those questions and, and give you my thoughts here in a little bit. Um, I think no matter what the big 10 said in response to the coaches, parents and players, uh, wanting answers as to why it it canceled fall football. Uh, there, I, I, I kind of break this up into 
different groups. There are some groups that want to play fall football. They believe that it's safe enough to play fall football. And no matter what the Big Ten would have said, they were going to push back on there not being fall football. And I'm not saying those people are wrong. I'm just saying there are a group of people, and that includes Hawkeye coaches, football players, and their parents. And again, I am not saying those folks are wrong. As I've said all all along, I do not know what the right answer is. Um, I keep going back to, and people can throw numbers at me, and there are conflicting numbers. And obviously, even within the medical community, there are different um, uh, ways of viewing the data in terms of this virus. Um, The one thing that I keep going back to is it is a new virus. And yeah, it acts similarly to other viruses, particularly other coronaviruses, but it's new. And we don't know the long-term effects. Uh, We don't know... um, how contagious uh, this disease eventually will be if there's going to be a vaccine. Uh, How good is the testing? How, how available is testing? Uh, A lot of, just a lot of questions in regards to the virus that leaves me unsure of what the correct answer is here. Now I'm not a stakeholder in, I mean, I am to a degree because it obviously hurts Hawkeye nation to not have fall football. Uh, It's our, biggest time of the year it's when we make our most you know the most money and we're going to have to deal with that moving forward as well um i also think there are a group of of players parents and coaches and i don't know i don't know how to quantify how big each of these groups are or is but um i think there there are a group that feel like hey we understand the big tens decision we know it was a medical decision we, we know that the Big Ten is, is decided not to risk the student-athletes, no matter what. Again, I'm not, I don't want to make this like there is a definitive um, uh, gauge on the risk because there isn't at this point, and, and we will only find out over time. But um, I think there are some coaches and parents and players who are okay with the big tens decision or understand it or accept it for why it's being made. Now the big 10 really has fumbled uh, this, I don't know if messaging is the right word, but just the process of making this decision. And I wrote about this um, a little bit. I, I've had a couple columns this week. I, I wrote about the, you know, the Tyler Goodson's parents, Felicia and Maurice, and their differing views within their own household of the safe, uh, you know, about the safety of playing college football. Um, I, I encourage you to read those because those guys gave me some really great stories and it really illustrates the unknown with this virus. I also wrote a column uh, yesterday or published it yesterday on August the 19th about how I believe that there's, there would be a higher likelihood of being able to get through a college football season if there weren't in-person classes. Um, if you've been paying attention and this is something that, uh, you know, if college football and, and college athletics are something that, uh, you enjoy and follow, you've seen, you know, the, the, the athletic director 
and Nick Saban at Alabama say pleading with, with you know, the general student population to stop going out to bars in mass in, in mass and not in mass and, you know, follow guidelines as they relate to uh, COVID-19. And I've seen it here in Iowa City and uh, it's happening downtown. I mean, there are large groups of students going out to bars and there are probably large groups of students hanging out at their houses and apartments and dorms. And we've seen North Carolina have to go to online only after a week or eight days. Notre Dame has done the same. Michigan State has decided to go to online only learning after, you know, what, what these trends are. Um, and again, I'm not getting into this political, whether or not this is a dangerous virus for, for that age group or, or what have you. Um, this is more of what's being done. And Iowa State had a, 175 cases and Iowa was not is not testing the general student population when it comes back to campus so you don't even know who has it and who doesn't and you're going to send the football players into classrooms and lecture halls with the general student population to me that's not going to work Maybe it will, and then maybe you're saying to yourself, so what, they're going to catch it, they're going to be fine because they're 22. Maybe that's right. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. But if you were playing football, college football, in somewhat of a bubble, it's not the traditional what the NBA, the WNBA, and NHL is doing with a bubble where everybody's in one location – but at least in terms of Iowa football, Iowa's done a pretty good job, and, and it's gotten better at it throughout the summer, of figuring out how to um, flatten the COVID curve within its program. And it's done that really well. And that's because they're um, committed to each other. They're, they're you know, they're not going to go out and go to a party or a bar, put themselves in danger because they want to play football. So they're, they're, you know, they're dedicated to that and it's controlled in the building. And then if they can, if the, if they're responsible, the players are responsible when they leave the building, it can work. But if you're bringing students back for, for in-person learning and you're sending your college football players out into that environment, I, it's just, it's going to be hard to play because they're going to come back and they're, you know, the big 12 is testing three times a week. Uh, that would probably be the case for the big 10 if it were to play. So you're going to sending the students out into, you know, the players, student athletes out into the general student population and then bringing them back and testing when none of the regular students are testing. Just, just to me, it's just, that's a recipe for disaster and you're going to have position groups that are going to get, you're going to have to try to contact trace, when they're out of the building it's to me it's 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 not going to work um we'll find out with the big 12 and the um the sec and the acc because as far as i know many of those schools still have in-person learning and they're going to send those student athletes out into that general student population so just kind of my thoughts a little bit on the big 10 decision um and Kirk Ferentz, Iowa coach Kirk Ferentz, after the decision decision last week to cancel fall football, 
he decided to disperse his his student athletes. They could go home if they wanted. Some of them stayed here. Some were up helping uh, with the the storm cleanup in Cedar Rapids earlier this week. Very admirable there. Um, but a lot of those players have gone home now and now are exposed to even more. So um, the Big Ten has said it's not reversing course. We'll see if the Big Ten is continues to be more transparent um, with why it made the decision. If you remember or noticed, the Pac-12 made this decision um, the same day the Big Ten did to cancel fall football and the Pac-12 issued a 12-page report of reasons why it decided to cancel fall football. The Big Ten did nothing other than to, you know, basically say it was dangerous in a small release and then didn't say anything again until Kevin Warren came out eight, day, eight days later. There's still a possibility um, of parents showing up at the Big Ten headquarters in Rosemont, Illinois, tomorrow, uh, Friday, August the 21st, to try to get more answers. I don't know how effective that will be, but, you know, it's kind of, I think there's, it's a little bit of, um, as I said, those mixed groups. There are some people that just want the answers and then go, we'll go from there and, and be satisfied with the full transparency. There are other folks that just want to play football and they aren't going to, Accept whatever the reasoning is, the science, the numbers. They they feel it's safe to play football because it's been deemed safe to play football in the Big 12 and the SEC and the ACC, and they can't, you know, rationalize the differences between them. And it's just, you know, as I said with the Goodsons, um, one parent's thinks the Big Ten made the right decision and is comfortable with it, and one parent isn't in the same household. So to to expect everybody in college football, which has no commissioner or really no no governing body because the NCAA is, is really toothless in this whole thing, uh, it's, you know, it, that what's happening now is not shouldn't be unexpected or a surprise. This is what happens when you have no real – over, you know, a, a governing body to manage major college football, FBS football, Power 5 football. So here we are. So anyway, I will get off that soapbox and just kind of – I just wanted to share my feelings because Andrew and I did our podcast on Monday this week. Um, I'm going to go away for a short family trip next week so I'm not sure if or when I'll be able to record but Andrew may be able to record while I'm away a solo podcast um and if he does so uh well obviously I wouldn't be on there to share my my thoughts on this Big Ten situation it was just handled really poorly by the Big Ten and I don't know I mean I think a lot of people want to blame Kevin Warren uh but this was not his decision to make solely. Um, and we really don't even know what his opinion is. His opinion or what, what, what he is saying is basically what the presidents and chancellors of the Big Ten University are, I don't want to say telling him to say, but he is echoing the reasons why they decided to cancel fall football. Um, it was not a decision made by him, and therefore uh, the complaint that his son 
is playing football in the SEC, I think is misguided because he, we don't know what, we honestly don't know if he was some, if he was on board with completely canceling the football season, if he wanted to delay it, you know, we don't know. I mean, we obviously know that Gary Barta and Bruce Harold, the, the reps from Iowa, wanted to play. We don't know what Kevin Warren wanted to do, but no, it didn't matter because he didn't have a vote, and he certainly did, could not overturn it, uh, whatever the, the president's vote turned out to be. So uh, somebody has to be to blame. He's the, he's the face of this thing. He gets paid a lot of money to uh, – to do that and, and to take the arrows for the presidents here. I think it's a little irresponsible for the presidents not to reveal how they voted um, and also jump in and explain why they voted uh, the way they did. But I, I, I yeah, I, I don't know how much transparency we're going to get, but I feel pretty confident saying we're not going to get big 10 football this, this fall. Um, and that leads to the first question. I did not get any Facebook questions this week. I didn't post it till later this morning. So that's my, that's a, that's a, my fault, not a, your fault. And hopefully next time I do one of these, which probably won't be for a couple of weeks because of the take a little time off next week. Um, I will try to give more warning before um, and give you guys a little bit more time to ask questions because Facebook, Facebook is usually pretty active for questions. We have one question from the Hawkeye Nation, um, HawkeyeNation.com message board, and that's from In Good Company. Good to see him back more regularly on the message boards now that the uh, much of the political and uh, uh, virus talk has, has subsided a bit and people are a little bit more calm. Um, so his question is, other than the fact that the NFL, that the NFL caliber players are likely to opt out of sp the spring season, many were already doing that when we thought there was a season this fall that was in parenthetical reference from in good company. Is there any other reason than the number of games, which they can control that could hold back an early 21 start keep hearing that spring football won't work i have yet to really hear a legit reason as to why it wouldn't then a few inconveniences which is understandable on a pandemic pandemic i feel it's just lazy take from we want to play football this fall guy i think that's part of it in good company i i there are people that just haven't really been able to um come to grips with there not being fall football in the big 10 and um, I don't know how long that will last, that pushback. I mean, it could go – I mean, it could go through the season for that matter. But I'm of the belief, and I've been saying this since, you know, back in the spring, that the Big Ten is going to do everything it can to play some football and th that will raise it money during the 2020 – 21 fiscal year, meaning the fiscal year that ends June 30th of 2021. Gary Barta, Iowa, Iowa athletic director released this week that revenue would be down a hundred million dollars with a shortfall of 60 to $70 million. Obviously there's going to be heavy budget cuts. People will probably lose their jobs 
furloughs. I feel awful about that. Um, I know a lot of those people over in Iowa athletics. And if they can play spring football, they can save themselves from having to do some of that. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's not just Iowa. This is all of the conference teams need to try to generate revenue from TV, you know, maybe in the spring, whether it's a vaccine or just learning more about the virus, there can be more fans in the stands than there would have been in the fall. Um, some schools, Penn State, they weren't even going to have fans in the fall. So that could be additional revenue in the spring. I'm of the belief, and there's been, there have been a lot of different uh, proposals, so to speak, put out there. Uh, or, you know, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is kind of uh, models, I guess, for how spring fo- football can look. We got, we heard some reports this week, uh, read some reports this week that it may start in January. That makes a lot of sense to me because if the schools that are having in-person learning, that, that will have their students in-person learning uh, this fall, I believe all of the Big Ten schools will go online no later than Thanksgiving. At that point, you're then creating that bubble that I talked about earlier in the podcast. You can have the players begin to train for a season. Uh, there will be off-season conditioning. And there was a ruling from the NCAA, I believe, that they can have eight hours of um, – time together football programs throughout this fall so then you ramp that up after thanksgiving you kind of prepare with your off-season conditioning then you go into what would be you know the preseason camp which normally happens in august you do that sometime in december and then maybe you can start playing football games in january and there's been talk and i think we're just going to hear a lot of different models between now and when the decision is made whether they play games in a bubble in domes in Minneapolis, Detroit, Indianapolis, uh, St. Louis, I've heard as a possibility. And you can do that where you're playing, you know, two or three, you know, kind of like a, how Iowa plays uh, its state football semifinals and finals up in the Unidome where they're playing pretty much morning till night. You can play several games and bring teams in and, and put them in a bubble after they've been in their own bubble on campus. And I think that's going not to that, not that you asked about this in good company, but I think that also pertains to college basketball after Thanksgiving, being able to practice in a bubble and perhaps, and it's easier for basketball. There are fewer players, uh, you know, team personnel, things like that. You could put them in a bubble somewhere. And we've seen now that the bubble concept works. I think it's now, I, I don't know why it's taken the big 10 this long to think of these ideas when it's had all of spring to, and we heard that they were, they were, you know, the athletic directors and, and Warren were meeting every day. I just wonder how this wasn't a model to, to think that the fall season would be canceled and you needed to come up with another idea. And it would have been nice if when they canceled, they said, okay, we, we want to play fo- spring football. And here are, you know, several of the models that we're looking at and or have the the model that you think can work uh but they didn't do any of that and and again the big 10 really mishandled uh the message from this decision to cancel fall football but i do i'm kind of with you in good company i think 
there is a way to play spring football and also play fall 2021 football. I would go, this is me personally, I would go six games um, in the spring. This is just Big Ten. Six games in the spring, division only. Division winners play for a Big Ten championship. If the Pac-12 does the same thing, you could have a – you know, a, a Pac-12 Big Ten championship after the, the each each conference plays its championship game. Maybe you can do like a, a challenge with the other some of the other uh, programs, if not all the other you know, programs uh, within the two leagues, and have them maybe play campus neutral site. I don't know how you want to bubble. Um, maybe some some ways they can can do that um in the spring maybe maybe you can play in in, you know play a bubble in vegas and a bubble in st louis who knows but i think there are a lot of possibilities out there and i think they're going to come up with a way to play spring football for budgetary reasons you play six seven if you're in the championship uh or if you do a like big 10 pac 12 challenge after they play the regular season so every team would have six games and then you would have an eighth game for the teams that uh win their conference championships and have it like maybe in the rose bowl you have the pac 12 uh in the big 10 play a game in the rose bowl for a champion between those two conferences and that's provided that the the other three power five conferences make it through the fall if they don't and they end up playing in the spring then maybe you go for a whole college football playoff. But a lot of ground to cover before we get to that. I appreciate the question in good company. It's good to have you back on the site on a more regular basis. Appreciate your contributions. Uh, We'll go now to um, my Twitter account. Uh, Let's see here. I answered Pat Hardy's question about why Roger Waters is worth 300 million while David Gilmore is only worth 160 million. My theory is the pros and cons of hitchhiking uh, makes up that 140 million. Um, And then he also asked me where the legendary backfield of Matt Snell and Emerson, Emerson Boozer rank among all time NFL offensive backfields. That's obviously number one. Uh, we move on here. Uh, let's see. Trip Manfro at PFAC, PFAC51 on Twitter asks, hey, Trip, how are you doing? Thank you for the question. Will this cancellation of football season trigger any grant of rights cancellations for TV or radio? Can this cancellation be used for Nebby to depart the conference? I just don't see it, Trip. I don't, I don't see the, you know, the, the partnerships that I, that uh, the big 10 has with Fox, which is partial owner of the big 10 network. Those guys are, you know, for lack of a better term in bed together, I think for the duration. (laughs) So I don't see there being a cancellation of any grant of rights. And for those that don't know, that's just a, if you're in a conference, if you're a conference member, you're tied to whatever TV deals said conference has with TV and radio. Um, I just don't see any big 10 teams uh, playing chicken to the point where they're trying to play football in the fall while their conference brethren is not. 
Um, too much to lose in the long run. Just, I mean, you're making 50 plus million annually from the big 10 for media rights. You, you just can't walk away from that. Yeah. It would be nice to be able to play this fall and generate some money. Um, but in the long run, I just, I, I can't see that making any sense for any of the conference members. And I think they all realize that the schools like uh, Penn state, Ohio state, Nebraska, some of the schools that came out publicly and said they were searching for ways to possibly compete uh, in football this fall out of the conference, even though the conference had canceled uh, the fall football season, were, they quickly walked that back once they realized that the conference wasn't having any of that and they risked being tossed from the conference. Not that they would have tossed Penn State and Ohio State, but I think it was a pretty easy to get everybody in line um, and I don't see that changing. I think they're going to do whatever they can to hopefully work out a TV uh, deal for the spring. Uh, obviously, they're not going to get the full amount they would have gotten from a full fall football season. Uh, but I'm sure that uh, that Fox and ESPN and whoever else broadcasts Big Ten football games will be happy to have it in the spring and have that to air um, going against the NBA, the NHL, and perhaps college basketball. So uh, interesting times indeed. Thanks for the question again, Trip. Hopefully you're doing well. Uh, Dan Brockett at Freakademics or at Freakademic on Twitter asks, if we actually collectively get our shit together enough to have a spring season, that's right, I can curse on this podcast, parenthetical ref, reference capitalized, so he's screaming wear masks with two exclamation points, what a compact season with a few bye weeks or an extended season with more time between games make more sense for player health. What is the latest you would play? It's a fair question, and it kind of piggybacks off the the in good company spring football question. I, I think the time between the seasons to me is one of the most critical um, aspects of being able to play two seasons in a calendar year. I think it's best to play six straight weeks in January and into February of Big Ten football. Again, this is within division. This is my idea. I, I have a feeling the Big Ten is going to try to push to, to seven or eight games. But I would play six division games, February or January, excuse me, beginning of January to mid-February. And who knows, there might be a chance where the general student population is still learning online at that point. And then for, you know, a, a portion of that that time period, they're going to be uh, on winter break anyway. If, if you know, if the schedule holds to what nor the normal schedule looks like, who knows if that'll be the case. Um, but uh, I, I think you play, you try to wrap things up by early March. Um, whatever, whatever you're trying to do, early to mid March, you wrap everything up, um, and then you. So basically, um, that's that's going to take your your traditional spring football practice away and i also think there needs to be some restrictions on contact within practices limit the contact in practices obviously you need to prepare players and have them conditioned to play games 
and keep themselves as safe as possible in a very violent sport. Um, but then you don't have the traditional spring practice, which for Iowa starts at the end of March and runs through most of April. You give the players from early to mid-March off until bringing them back for conditioning later than would be normal. Normally they come back in early June and start conditioning in preparation for the beginning of August training camp. You push that back. First, you, you push that back maybe and start at the beginning of July, and then you push the fall season back a month instead of starting at the beginning or the end of August, beginning of September. Maybe you start that last week of September, first week of August, and you would play eight games. I think 14 games is probably max in terms of everybody. If you're doing playoffs and bowl games and what have you, they'll play more than that. Um, but I wouldn't want to push it much, much past 14, uh, maybe 16, uh, maybe go six in the spring and 10 in the fall. I could possibly see that, but I'm not, I, I don't think I'm qualified to say what would be safe on that, but you're giving, you'd basically be giving the players time off from the beginning to middle of March, all the way to maybe the beginning to middle of July. So that's a decent amount of recovery time. Uh, they'll still train and they'll still keep themselves in shape. Um, but in terms of, you know, um, required and non-voluntary, you know, preparations and workouts, uh, it's a little bit more controlled. I think it could happen. 14 to 16 games in a calendar year. I think they can do it. But again, I'm not the one most qualified to say whether or not they can. It'll be interesting to see here because we're, we're going to get conflicting uh, advice, I think, from medical experts, trainers about if it's safe to play, you know, 16 games. And if they push it to like 18, then, then I'm a little bit concerned, but they could possibly do that too. But I'm interested to see what type of advice – college football gets over the next several months in terms of the safety and likelihood of playing a spring season. It seems like the people that are involved, coaches, uh, some doctors, athletic directors, Kevin Warren, uh, feel like they can play a spring season, but we'll just have to see over time. It's hard to, it's, if we've learned anything during this pandemic, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen next. And I've gotten into a rhythm now of not of trying not to do that. I think it's, it's probably human nature to try to figure out what's coming next. Um, but it's pretty much a, uh, a fool's errand during a pandemic. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. That might be it for questions. Let me flip through here. Uh, da -da -da. Uh, Tyler Miller at Tyler MI 6594208 could be a bot, but I will answer this question because I've gotten it from a few other people. 
Have you submitted a FOIA, which for the uninitiated is a Freedom of Information Act request on the three coaches that were listed but not named in the Hush Blackwell report? Only four coaches were ever named, but only one was ever fired. Um, just to review this, we never knew, we don't know who the four coaches who had individual reports done on them in conjunction with the overall Hush Blackwell report looking into racial bias in the Iowa football program. Um, the, the four coaches that were, I think, you know, had, had, you know, allegations against them for mistreatment of players were Chris Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach, who, who, as you mentioned, is the one who has been released uh, separation agreement, I guess you could call it, um, fired, how, whatever language you want to use there. Um, then you also had head coach Kirk Ferentz, his son, offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz, and co-defensive coordinator, uh, I think he's co, or assistant defensive coordinator, I don't know the exact uh, – title there, but Seth Wallace, uh, who also coaches linebackers. My guess is those are the four. I don't know that for a fact, but those are the four coaches who had were investigated and have individual reports in their personnel files. And that's the key here. They conducted this investigation in a way that they only have to legally release the overall findings, which we've already received, 20 plus page report but they are legally they can they can um they approach this where these individual coach allegations were put in put into individual personnel files and they can legally keep them from the public being as there are personnel files so Good job, as I've said before, by uh, general counsel at the University of Iowa, assuming they came up with that plan. Um, maybe Hush Blackwell kicked in an idea of being able to do it that way as well. But the only way I can file the FOIA, it won't matter because legally they don't have to give it to me or anybody else. And they're going to keep those reports in each of the coaches' personnel files and they will know they will not see the light of day unless said coaches to say, "Hey, I'm innocent. Here you go. Here's the here's my report that was done by Hush Blackwell, in looking into uh, allegations against me. Here you go." Um, I don't think we're going to see that, however. So that is the answer to that question, Tyler. Uh, and I believe that might be it. Uh, nope. E at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014 on Twitter asks, how many players do you think will transfer from men's and women's basketball if there aren't winter sports? Um, that's a good question. And, and th I'm assuming you mean if there aren't any winter sports only in the Big Ten or the Pac-12 and other conferences are playing. Um, that's hard to say. It's really hard to predict transfers. Um, I would say there would be less likelihood to transfer because you're keeping your eligibility. And at least from Iowa men's standpoint, uh, there's a good chance that Luca Garza is going to move on anyway, and there's going to be more playing time there. So really hard to predict that. I don't have an answer to your question. E I'm sorry about that. Um, anything definitive. It's just, 
too unpredictable at this point. As I talked about, it's hard to, to predict what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone months down the road during the pandemic. Um, but with the transfer portal and college football and men's basketball and all sports, you know, for that matter, uh, much, there are, uh, a, a, there's a much higher rate of transferring in college sports now than there's ever been. So it would hard to say there won't be any transfers, but I don't really, I can't really wrap my mind around reasons to transfer at this point, unless the big Ten's the only conference not playing winter sports. And I think they're going to do everything they can. And, and, as I addressed earlier in this podcast, there isn't really a governing body, a commissioner for Power 5 football, FBS football for that matter. Dan Gavitt, the son of Dave Gavitt, that you guys will be familiar with from the Gavitt Games where the Big Ten plays the Big East, um, is basically the Grand Poobah commissioner for college basketball. And I think they're working – very hard right now to come up with ways to play college basketball. I think they're going to play college basketball. I think if you look at that timeline, particularly if they can't before when students go online only at most of these big 10 schools around Thanksgiving, you can certainly begin maybe playing a bubble at that point and maybe playing a couple bu bubbles leading up to March madness. Um, you can do them within conferences. You can do them within region regions of the country. Um, but I think they're going to come up with a plan there. I don't know what it will actually look like, uh, but I, I have confidence that college basketball is going to come up with a plan to play this winter, uh, you know, and get back on the court. Um, and have a season. And I hope so, certainly for Iowa's sake, because a lot of excitement around this team and the potential to do some really historic things in the Hawkeye program. So let's all keep our fingers crossed that, uh, that that can happen. And I think there's a good chance it will. So that, those are all the questions. Let me, I'll check Facebook one more time in case there are any late entries here. Um, just give me a second and bear with me here. Um, again, like I said, I will probably not be podcasting next week. Perhaps Andrew will have a podcast, uh, for you guys, a solo podcast at some point, if not, maybe he and I can get together next Friday, uh, when I'm back from my little, uh, my little, uh, excursion with my family. Nope no questions on Facebook. So I believe I've gotten to everybody and I appreciate everyone's uh, questions and appreciate you guys listening to the Hawkeye nation mailbag podcast. Uh, probably, as I said, probably we'll be on hiatus next week, but hopefully we'll come back the next week and keep, you know, keep this thing on the Wednesday timeline. I think people are used to that. I'm certainly used to that. And I would like to do that, but I appreciate you guys bearing with some changes this week. Uh, it's just been kind of hectic and crazy uh, this month with what's been going on with college football and the big 10. So appreciate you guys listening again. Uh, hopefully you have a great weekend and uh, we'll be back with the Hawkeye mailbag podcast. Probably uh the last week of august the first week of september it's coming quick be well talk to you soon